Welcome to Getting Cozy with Erin Hill. Now here's our mama. Hey y'all, welcome back to Getting Cozy with Erin Hill. I am so excited today because I know you guys know that I am so obsessed with The Big Shot with Bethany on HBO Max. And we have none other than Nicole Rose Stillings with us here today. And my God, you guys, she wears so many hats. She's incredible. She is a podcaster. She is an influencer. She is a queen of many things. And I'm just so excited to have her on. And now she's a reality TV star. So welcome to the show, Nicole. Hello, Erin. Thank you so much for having me. I already feel really cozy. Oh, good. Well, that's the whole name <laughs> of the show, right? Getting cozy. Well, we're going to get real cozy and get to know you really well. I feel like, you know, who you were portrayed on the show is just not the real you. And that's why I'm so excited we connected on Instagram and I can have you here today. We can tell everyone who the real Nicole is. So let's get into it. First of all, how are you doing today? I'm so good. I'm great. I'm actually, so I was just in New York for like half a month and now I'm back in Florida and I'm going to Bitcoin conference next week. So I'm kind of like all, and then I go back to the Hamptons for DJ gigs, but, um, it's, I always love my time in Florida before there's like major events. Cause it just feels very like grounding and relaxing. And that's so funny. I'm actually from Florida. I was born in Boynton Beach. What part of Florida are you in? Oh, cool. I'm in Sarasota right now. And like, I'll go back and forth between Sarasota and Miami. I just have really close family friends here. So it's like the closest thing I have to family in a place that I'd like enjoy living. You know? It's so gorgeous there. I was in Annie and Venice, um, Nokomis, that area I know really well. So I know exactly where you are. And it's just, it's so beautiful. So enjoy your time out there for sure. Yes. And she's a DJ guys. I think I did not mention that, which is she's DJ Rose. We will get into all of that. We're just going to jump in. I want to talk about how, like who you were before you became Nicole Rose. So where did you grow up? So I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, right? Here's the U.S. Picture of this big rectangle, right? And I'm smack dab in the middle. No water, no fresh seafood, you know, not as much, you know, arts and culture and diversity as I prefer. No, St. Louis is a great city to grow up in. No shade on it whatsoever. You know, you get those good Midwest values. You actually learn that people are good people and you think it's normal to like say hi to everyone everywhere you go. And then you get to the streets in New York and people are like shocked when you're friendly. (laughs) I can completely relate. I grew up in Kentucky. So that um, definitely rings true for sure for the Midwest. That was in Louisville? Uh, Lexington, actually. Lexington. Okay. Yeah. I guess you have to be from Louisville or Lexington, right? Those are the right? two biggest cities. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. It was Lexington. That was like where my elementary school and everything. So what were you like as a little girl? So I was like a New Yorker before I was a New Yorker <laughs> is like the best way it. to put it. Um, but no, I, I also like, I knew that I wanted to be an entertainer. I would run around. I actually posted an Insta story today that was like me holding my curling iron. Like, I don't know why I was pretending to like talk into my curling iron a couple of years ago, like it was a microphone, but I've like been doing that. I was doing that when I was like six years old, running around the living room, like sliding down the hardwood floor, like using the rug to like, you know, get some air. And I would have my hairbrush and just be like singing to Whitney Houston or TLC or Mariah Carey, what you know, this is like the 90s. So whatever the jam was at the time and rocking it out. And I remember I told my parents when I was younger, I was like, you know, this was like, you know, I was like a single digit number at this point. I forget the exact age, but I was like, I really want to be a one hit wonder when I grow up. And they were like, that's yes. not a career. And I was like, oh, Okay. I need to get some new goals. I was like eight, you know, I'm like, thanks for popping my bubble. Right. Yeah. I I guess like, I just didn't, you know, they, both my parents are in very traditional careers. They're both doctors. And I just, I didn't like, and then their friends were like lawyers and, you know, or we had, we knew like accountants or whatever. It's like, I didn't know anybody that was in, you know, more of a non-traditional career. I, I didn't know that much about entrepreneurship. And I, I just knew that I was cut from a different cloth. I love that at a, at a young age. I absolutely love that. I wanted to be a lounge singer, so I can totally like. <laughs> <laughs> so you, did you express that goal to your parents and did they shoot it down? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. You're, okay. They're like, you can do that on the side. You know what I mean? And I was too young to know like what a side hustle was, but they're like, just do it on the side. I'm thinking the side of what? The side of a street? Like, what are you saying? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? That's so 
funny. Of course, I understand because I have a ton of side hustles. So I'm like, ah, I get it now. Okay. So tell me about your family. Your, do you have siblings? Are you close to your parents? Yeah. So I am super, super close to my family. I, I think when you get a little bit older, like I'm in my thirties now, like it's cool to have like a million friends in your twenties. But then when you get into your thirties, you're like, okay, wow, I actually don't have time for all that. And you start realizing like how valuable these relationships with cousins and sisters or brothers or whatever you have are, right? Because you have this deeper connection and, you know, they've been following you throughout your whole life. Whereas, you know, friends just naturally come and go, right? It's people go down different paths. And then, you know, even though you love each other, sometimes people get separated for whatever reason. So very close with my mom and my sister, my dad uh, and I were best friends, but he passed about six years ago. It was actually like his anniversary of passing. I I call it that because I celebrate it because he was so cool and we were best friends. And I still, I still pour one out for the homies uh, every, every year to celebrate him. Usually it's a bottle of champagne. He had exquisite taste. So yeah, he's no, no longer with us, but my mom and I talk every day. My sister and I talk as much as humanly possible. She's a (laughs) surgeon and a resident right now. So she's very busy, but she actually watched the big shot and it was so fun to like, enjoy that with her and get her FaceTimes. Like she would call me during the episodes to give me all of her reactions in real time. So that was super fun. So much fun. I'm so glad you have such strong relationships with your siblings, your family, you know, they're, I just, I talk to so many people that they just don't have that. So it's just a precious gift, isn't it? So yeah, it's a gift, but it's it like takes work. You know what I mean? Like I work at it. It's not like it's always perfect. Like if there's a problem, we sit down and I force people to talk to me. Like, you know, they show me on the show as being a talker. That actually is a good side to it too. Where like I confront issues head on so that I can like move past them rather than shying away and holding everything in and then distancing myself, you know, from the people that I love. For sure. Definitely. Did someone inspire you to be independent and entrepreneurial? Did you come out of the womb that way? from a young age, like I just knew I was different, right? Like I knew like my parents would have their friends over and I wanted to entertain them. So (laughs) sometimes that would be like with funky outfits or I would talk to them about their style and learn things from like my mother's friends that were very chic. Um, It could meant that I wanted to sing and dance for them. You know, I was in the choir. I played piano. I was never like great at any of these things, but I had guts and I was willing to do it and just give it a shot. I would put on music. And even in high school, I would like essentially like curate the playlist for parties. So I would love having everybody over in high school because I would make a bunch of mixtapes on CDs at the time. Right. <laughs> and like pop them through. And then everybody would like want a copy after the party. And it was cool. Cause then people would make me mixtapes back. So we would all share and we didn't have to like buy every single CD. And then it was more, you know, you, you never really wanted the whole album, right. You wanted mm-hmm. just like the main hits. So yeah. I think I always had this drive to entertain and uplift others in me. I was, I've always been the person that friends go to for advice, for positivity. That's just who I am. And I think what's really cool with the big shot, I mean, at least by, you know, some of the end episodes is you kind of get to see both sides of me where it's like, I am an entertainer, but I'm also an uplifter and a hard worker and I, and I have a big heart. Definitely. Yeah. And that did come through. I hope you know that, you know, I was very excited to connect with you because I think you're a wonderful person. And uh, yeah, I mean, you have so much to offer the world, honestly. Where did your passion for music come from? So I love music. I think music always elicits emotions, if that makes sense. Right. So yeah. Like I use it to pump myself up for a workout, pump myself, you know, if I'm nervous about something, like you could put on your favorite song and just like dance a little and get into the vibe. You can use music to meditate, right? And get into a more Zen zone. I like to listen to like super chill house or jazz when I'm in the bathtub just to help me relax. Like I think music is so connected to happiness and to our brain. And so I was always very intrigued buy it ever since I was young, especially its ability to uplift and entertain once again. And um, I would just, you know, I, like I said, I was playing music throughout my childhood in the house, having parties for my friends. I put a sound system in my car in high school and I would just drive around and like pump myself up on the way to school. It was like better than a coffee. You know, I didn't drink coffee back then. Now I'm like still chugging coffee at 5 p.m. (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. Well, I love that you were able to, you know, find like a passion like that. Right. And just, it probably energized you and it just gave you what you needed. I love that. Like that's way better than having coffee. Right. I mean, it's totally, totally, totally. it still does it right. Like before, you know, to get ready yeah. to go out on a run or, you know, I'm picky about yoga. I won't go to the instructors who have terrible playlists, you know, <laughs> same, same. No, because it, it's so much a part of it. You know, it really is. It just, it sets the mood. It's the vibe. It's yeah. everything. I totally, totally agree. Who were your first like favorite bands or maybe musicians, singers, your first ones that you can remember? You know, I think because I lived in St. Louis. Well, first of all, I grew up on music that my parents played, right? Like most children. And my dad loved music. And I just remember, you know, we would really like turn it up loud and vibe together, like rolling down the highway. He drove really fast. It was like just like a thing that we did. We would just race around downtown, go to baseball games, hockey games, football games together. I was like his sidekick, you know, but that was like a lot of disco, Diana Ross, Motown, the pretenders, you know, eighties, classic rock, Billy Joel. It was, it kind of shaped music. I still would play a lot of disco and Motown, you know, depending on the crowd and the event that we're at and obviously the ages of people, but I find that pretty much everyone likes a good disco track or two. Um, Donna oh, yeah. Summer, who's yeah. not going to get excited about that? Bad girls, yeah, right. So, um, <laughs> yeah. so I have I have a lot of musical influences, but I would say like disco and Motown and jazz. He also was a big fan of jazz, as well as you know hip hop and R and B. You know that R and B vibe was so big in the '90s, right? And Lauren Hill, you know, who else? Oh, TLC right? There's so many like good bands from the nineties and their music is still relevant today. Nelly, right? That's a St. Louis original right there. And I actually opened for him once in Vegas and I was like, oh my God, this is the honor of a lifetime. Very (laughs) cool. Yeah. I don't know if other people would be as excited about that, but like for me being from St. Louis and like having listened to him my whole childhood, I was like literally like a kid on candy. Absolutely. Oh my God. That's amazing. That's, that's so fun that you can share those stories, you know, and those like milestones. I love hearing that. So we're going to go back to kind of like school age. Who would you say you were in high school? Meaning like, were you a cool kid? Were you a nerd? Were you, you know, somebody who just like, I I feel like you were very outgoing and like, was that like, who were you in high school? I was definitely very, very outgoing. And I had a lot of friends. I had a lot of friends in different friend groups. I switched to a new school in like seventh grade because the one I was currently at was ending. So I had no choice. And that was right when my parents were getting a divorce and I had very few friends there. And so I think middle school was like a really challenging time for me. And it took me like maybe to like sophomore year of high school to come into my own more and kind of hit my stride with the right friend group in high school. And definitely like, I mean, I was definitely in the main crew, you know, in high school, but I was also friends with everybody. I was once again, still just feeling it out. Where did I fit in, in this new school? And I'm kind of a nerd too. And I was in, you know, some more advanced classes and I, and I enjoy having friends and study buddies in every class. And I truly like people of all backgrounds. One thing that I became known for was music and then having a lot of parties though. And, and yeah. I don't know whether that's a good thing or not, but we like to have a good time in high school. My friend group and I had the majority of parties. Three out of four of us had just homes with really conducive setups to entertaining a lot of guests and pretty cool parents that were willing to be there in chaperone, but weren't like psycho, you know, or else we wouldn't have wanted to have the parties. It's too awkward. So, right, right. Yeah. So it was, it was a pretty good setup and that was a great way to just, you know, expand the friend group and meet people from other, other schools and stuff too. Well, definitely. And music brings people together. So, you know, that makes sense. Totally makes sense. You attended Emory University, which is an incredible school. So congratulations on that. Did you know that you wanted to study marketing and advertising? I went to Emory and I was like, it's just funny. I worked really hard in high school. My senior year in high school, I took five AP classes. So, I mean, you probably know that's like a pretty intense workload. And, you know, my parents were like, 
have fun. You know, it was like a work hard, play hard environment. Like I could have fun and do what I wanted as long as I was a straight A student. If my grades ever slipped, I was in the doghouse. Like, forget about it. Like you're grounded. You're not doing anything. You're, we're taking your car. We're taking your cell phone. Like you're screwed. So I think I did feel a lot of pressure, you know, in childhood. And also I just, I never wanted to upset them. The divorce was tough. It lasted for many years. It was like in the newspaper. It was apparently so long and so just outrageous. And so I, I really kind of like wanted to always be a good kid from that perspective. So I probably put a lot of that pressure on myself. And when I got to college, I was just like, like, I was like, I want (laughs) to breathe. Like Emory has an incredible business school and looking back on it probably should have taken more classes there, but I was worried. I was like, you know, a lot of the prereqs to get into business school are supposed to be really hard. I want to get into a sorority. It's really important to me to make friends here. Cause I, you know, I didn't come there having a ton of friends. I had a few and I think I'm one of those people who just values experiences and people a lot, you know, like some people really, you know, they place profits over people. Right. And, but for me, I think experiences and relationships are high on my priority list. So I didn't take any of the business prereqs because I didn't want it to trash my GPA. And I knew that they wouldn't want to send me to an expensive school if they thought I wasn't doing well. So I studied sociology. You use that skill set to understand marketing. I also took a bunch of psychology classes. I took journalism. I had a minor in journalism. So a lot of that is very relevant to what I went on to do with my career. But I wasn't really sure at the time. I don't know. I think when you grow up in a household and, and nobody does anything kind of outside of the box, you don't really know what the options are. You know? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. I, I also majored in sociology and I feel like it was such a good choice because when you do love people and you love connecting with people, that is yeah. like, it just makes sense to be kind of in that field, you know, in that realm. And you can do so much with that degree. Right. So exactly. I think that, yeah. I was on, I was in the same like mind frame. Like this is, this is the right track for me. So I love hearing that. Now, what was your first job out of college? So my first job out of college was I actually got hired. I had, so it was a bad job market, right? In 2008, there was the whole housing market crash. I graduated in 09. I remember even our valedictorian, like, I don't think had a job at the time of graduation, but I hustled because I knew ever since I was a 12 year old, my mom took me to New York for my 12th birthday. And I, and I came back from the trip and I was like, I'm going to move to New York. And she was like, calm down. (laughs) You're 12. (laughs) And I was like, no, no, I'm going. And she was like, all right, we'll see about that. But for college, I, you know, I wanted to go to Emory. I liked it when I visited, it was warm. I wasn't ready for the cold yet. I still have trouble with the cold, (laughs) full disclosure. Um, and so I, you know, I wanted to be in New York. So I was like, I'm going to do what it takes. So I hustled the alumni network and went through and emailed a bunch of people that were launching companies that had marketing positions open. And I thought maybe that would be better than blindly applying. Although of course I did blindly apply for jobs. I'll actually spill something here that nobody knows about me. I went through three rounds of interviews with the CIA they recruited Emory and I thought that I could handle it. And after the third interview, I was like, definitely cannot do this past the test. They, they make you take an intelligence test that when I passed. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. They, they oh made me like read God. some book about how, what my life would be like and all the relationships that once again, coming back to relationships, everybody I would basically have to dispose of. And, you know, basically shredding your entire identity and becoming a new unknown quantity in the world with no connections and, and, and no family, et cetera. And I just was like, I'm oh, not cut out no. for this. No, no, that's not you at all. And would you be like a spy? Like you'd basically be a spy? Like you'd have like a completely different identity. You just wouldn't be yourself. That's not, I think so. I mean, once again, I didn't, you know, I don't want to make it sound like I got further through the process than I did. I didn't have, you know, like an offer letter on paper with the exact job description, (laughs) kind of like big shot, no clue what fucking job that was for. (laughs) Sorry. I don't know if I can just drop an F-bomb on your podcast, but it's getting cozy. You just be cozy to yourself. (laughs) It's authentic. There's no filter. You're good. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. 
that's that's amazing. Definitely, you're my first one to say that for sure. I've never yes, so random. That to me. That's amazing. Nobody, nobody would like. People probably are hearing that. And they're like, I don't believe that, but no, trust me. Why would I even make that up? How does no, that you benefit know. me at all? Um, so yeah, my first job was with an Emory alum at a marketing startup that he was building. And so I got to do everything because it was only a few of us in the company at the time. I mean, there was two offices. So West coast, East coast, I don't want to say a few, it was like a 25 person company, 30 person company. Max. It was small. Yeah, yeah, It was small. I mean, it was cool. Cause I got to work directly for the owners. They were very smart guys and they taught me a lot hands-on and they were, you know, several years older than me. So it was really helpful. And then I worked my way up the ladder and I got a director of social media position. And that was, you know, truly what I wanted to do. I was director of social for an agency that ran Ralph Lauren, Diesel, Theory, Swatch, Kmart, QVC, a couple other like restaurants and hotel chains. Um, But for me, the fashion was kind of why I was really in it that role. So, and then I also worked at Weber Shanwick before that in China, actually, which also something probably nobody knows about me. <laughs> were you living in China or you were just working for the company? Yeah, no, I, I was living in China for three months over um, in 2008 over the Olympics. Another oh. thing nobody knows about me. I speak like three words in Mandarin, but I speak them well. <laughs> oh my God. That's so crazy. Cause I, so I became a flight attendant in 2008 for United and I was in Shanghai so much and it was around the Olympics and it was so crazy, right? Just being like the energy there and just everything yeah. was just, it was unreal. So that is so cool. What city did you live in China? In Beijing, basically the thing, Weber Shanwick was hiring once again, I think they just, they recruited Emory and that was how I got connected to them. They were hiring American talent because they had the Olympics campaign, but they also had Mercedes and Chrysler and I mean, Celgene, pharmaceutical companies, they had all a wide variety of clients and so they were like let's take on some Americans see if anybody wants to stay it was a paid internship see if anybody wants to stay after Um, and then I did actually get a job with them in Atlanta so I was working for them full-time when I went back to Atlanta but yeah so that was a really crazy time to be there you're right and I did go to Shanghai when I was there I remember going to Bar Rouge and Jean Georges I don't know if those are still around today, but. Okay. So I've got to ask you, did you have a massage when you were in Shanghai? I did in Beijing. I don't, Shanghai only had four days in and I wanted to, you know, get it all in. Oh my God. I, I had the most awkward massage of my life. I remember like she, and of course I didn't speak, you know, I didn't speak the language obviously. I mean, it was a fight, but I remember going in and she was saying, take off your clothes, right? Disrobe. And I wanted to leave something on because I'm, I'm in China. I'm like, you know, I'm not comfortable, obviously. And she's like, no, no, she comes in. She's like, no, no, everything, everything. And I was like, well, I at least want a towel. She gives me the smallest washcloth I've ever seen. Like the <laughs> smallest, tiniest washcloth. And she literally lays it on, like, I think my butt, you know, <laughs> and then she became a spider monkey on top of me. And I was just like, yeah. What is happening to me right now? I don't understand. I just like blacked out. Like I just wanted to black out and just wanted to be over. But it was crazy. I've never had a massage like that in my life. Did she rub your stomach? Oh, everything. Yeah. The stomach rub weirds me out. Very weird. And I really need a stomach rub. Yeah, no, I don't need a stomach rub. I don't, it doesn't really like feel good, you know, but I, but I mean that, so I, it sounds like it was more of like a Thai massage. I've had, I've had people kind of use that spider monkey technique. That's a funny way to describe it, but I'll be honest, feels pretty good. Like they use a lot of strength. Definitely. Oh yeah. It was just so odd. I was just so not expecting it, you know? So when did you launch your first business? Cause I know you had the, um, the headphones. Was that your first business? Yeah. So actually, no, the first thing I did after I left the last agency I was with was I became a partner in a bar called theater bar. I invested, I had, I'd saved up a little bit of money in my almost five years working and I invested it in this bar with a bunch of other investors and, and, you know, a hospitality entrepreneur that I really believed in. I had known him for a couple of years. He had another popular spot that was grossing like $1.2 million a year already in Chinatown in New York, actually. And I really believed in him. I thought we could would do a great job together because I was able to handle like social media and events and, you know, basically get the branding and the marketing under control. And it took us a while to get off the ground. We then 
ran into issues with our lease about a year later, right when we were really cranking and the landlord sold the building. We had not structured a good deal for ourselves. I don't know. You know, I was young, right? I was a kid. So that was a big learning lesson for me. Um, that there should have been more people with with experience involved. I figured since he did it once before or a couple times before that, you know, we kind of relied on him to be the guiding force in that situation. And even, you know, some of our lawyers and stuff were surprised. So that that quickly fell away. And that was pretty devastating. That felt like a big setback because we were really making progress and I loved it. And I thought that that was what I wanted to do. And pretty soon after that, I realized okay, maybe I just really want to DJ. You know, I started doing the events. I, we had a following already. So I, I brought our crew to other places in New York City, like Bagatelle, other hotel bars that were cool, et cetera. And I realized very quickly that I just wanted to DJ and do the music and that that was more important to me. It was cool to have, you know, friends coming and we already had a following and kind of a, a distribution list for the events that we were doing. But I started the DJ business really soon after that. And then a couple of years after that, you know, the headphone idea came to me and that was really starting to pick up steam. And then the pandemic kind of ravaged all the deals we had going. <laughs> so we were just about to go into retail. We had a we had a retail partnership. We were about to sign a deal. We had been in our third round of meetings with the CEO and owner of that company, um, which was going to be super cool for us. And the pandemic hit about three weeks after. I don't know if they are still in business, to be honest. My God, no. Yeah. I mean, it's okay. You learn so much from your failures. You know, I think there's so many things that have gone right too. So it's hard to really be like, to, you know, to feel sorry for yourself. Cause obviously I'm very grateful for, you know, the DJ career doing very well. You know, that was very natural. That flowed almost without any work for me because it was it was just such a natural merge of my passions and my skill sets. So it just kind of kept growing and I didn't really have to put much gas in the machine, if that makes sense. And then the headphone thing, you know, I was able to raise money. I had an investor and I invested again in that company after I saved up again. And I was able, you know, to to raise money for that company and and she was able to help me with a lot of the logistics of importing product and whatnot, but even something like that probably helped, or I know for a fact helped the big shot choose me because I had product development experience, product marketing experience, you know, not just experience on social media and, and DJing, right. Which was much more relevant to Bethany's businesses. Absolutely. And we're definitely going to get into how you got on the show. Just one other question. So you've been a podcaster for two years what led you to create a podcast? Like what was that seed that was planted? And you're like, I want to do this. I mean, it goes back to like being a child and just using everything as a microphone. You know what I mean? Like I just <laughs> been kind of a loud mouth. I mean, I think they made me a little extra in the show, but that's okay. You know, I've decided I'm going to own the edits because I gave them okay. the content, right? You know, so yeah, yeah. I've made my peace with that, but yeah. So I, you know, I had an agent approach me that I knew through mutual friends and, and, you know, other people had approached me about wanting to do TV. Originally he came to me about wanting to do a different show. Once again, I, I was very picky with it because I felt like I had built a solid brand for myself. I didn't want to do a show that would wreck my image or be not empowering for other women. Like I didn't want to do a show where I was like, you know, drunk or sleeping with strangers on camera. I mean, like, you know, no shame to anybody that's on a show like that, but I wanted to do something that I thought would add to and amplify the brand that I had already built, not detract. I was very intentional about that because I felt like I worked really hard to build DJ Rose into the queen that she is. Right. Um, So same agent approached me about doing a podcast and he said he had contacts. He was like, if you want to do this, I will sell it somewhere. I promise you. And honestly, he was right. I believed him. He was very smart. He coached me a lot, which I'm super grateful for. I had another podcasting co-host at the time and we sold that show to Spotify. So he wasn't messing around. (laughs) He actually knew the woman in charge of the podcast content creation at Spotify Liz, I'm blanking on her last name right now, but she is a boss and very cool. I got to meet her in a meeting and they did a deal with us and 
we did a pilot for them. So my first year podcasting was practicing kind of under the radar and several months of building that pilot for Spotify, incorporating their feedback, you know, and working with their team in the studio. And then my second year, basically in the pan, you know, right before the pandemic, they released us from our contract and, you know, we made it really close, but we didn't make the final cut for original content for them, which is okay. Once again, if you never shoot your shot, you never win. Right. So obviously I've had plenty of near misses or failures, whatever you want to call them. Let's call them near misses. misses. That sounds a little bit more empowering um, in my career, but yeah. So it was, I just kind of looked at it like, well, if this agent would believe in me, if Spotify would believe in me enough to spend several thousands of dollars building content with me for the last six to eight months or whatever it was, I should be doing this, you know? So I'm just going to kick my ass into gear and get it out. At the time, the pandemic had really destroyed my DJ business overnight. And and even my campaign business, our sponsorships and stuff, because brands were nervous to invest at the time, which yeah. makes sense. Nobody yeah, knew yeah. what was going to happen to consumer spending. No idea. Yeah. Right. What was going to happen to the whole freaking world, right? No, anything. Yeah, it was nuts. That's when I launched Big Queen Energy. Okay. It was, okay. It was named something else before, but. It was named Subbabe? Yeah, it was it was called okay. Subbabe. Originally, it was okay. a little bit, it was more of a similar format to the show that I used to produce for Spotify. And then I realized within doing, within a few months during the pandemic that I really wanted to be a voice of positivity and talk less about current events and news because right. that was not really giving me that angle to be a shining light in, in such a kind of depressing world at the time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, I can totally understand that. I, I completely relate to you on that. So how did the big shop find you or did you find it? So they found me. It was a it was a long application process. It, it was very involved, multiple rounds of interviews. Even I remember there was one interview where they asked me very serious questions about like the books for the Rosé Rockers company, the headphone brand. And I was like, oh, um, let me check that number and get back to you. But here's what I think the revenue last year was. And here's why I think, you know, where I think we have room for improvement, et cetera. This was obviously before we decided to, you know, put that company on pause. They asked really hard questions in my final round interview. And I, I quite frankly, wasn't even prepared for it because it, it had been more like a getting to know you and personality kind of test prior to that. And then I think in one of the final rounds, it was a several month process. They really wanted to know, like, is this person going to be able to hang in a boardroom with Bethany and answer business appropriate questions? No, that totally makes sense. What were your expectations going on the show? Do you know, I thought that it was going to be more like The Apprentice. And then I got there and then it was more like The Real Housewives. So then, so then I showed up to a party and had a good time and then everyone flipped out. So then I was like, shit, is it The Apprentice? I was just like, what show am I actually on? You know? <laughs> right, yeah. I think I, you know, and you can see as the viewer, you can see that I went through a series of adjustments to try to hit my stride for what show I was actually on. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and what was crazy to me is like, you know, you probably thought a lot of like her people in the crowd were just other applicants, right? But they were, right? And they were giving her information, going back and giving her like, you know, information from down below or whatever. And I was just like, oh my God, like that's crazy to me. But I understand why she did it, of course. I mean, that was smart looking from her perspective, right? But I just, what did you think of that? Like when you figured that out, that that was happening? that people were like, I don't know, I don't call spies, but you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I was literally shocked because I was like, (laughs) I just told, I just called somebody little Corey who works for her. Like no man wants to be called little. Right. I mean, I was really like, I'm screwed. Like I'm going from calling him little Corey, but I mean, on the flip side, I guess it made for entertaining content and you know, and luckily Sarah and I, the other quote unquote spy or whatever had hit it off. Her and I actually had spent like 30 minutes chatting about our charity work. Oh, and right. so I was confident that she would at least relay that I'm a decent human being. And that was just a <laughs> joke. You know what I mean? I was right, just right. kidding. And I get maybe it bothered him, but I, I was really totally teasing. And 
I mean, I tease with people that I like. He was wearing velvet pants. What's not yeah. to like about that? <laughs> right, right. No, for sure. That's so funny. So having been a fan of Bethany's, was she what you expected or did she surprise you? I was surprised that everything I did annoyed her. Right. I mean, like, but really I came out of the gates, like hot, like everything I did. I, first of all, the sweetie thing, like I, it just like, it was like word vomit. I didn't mean to say that I was nervous and like, I genuinely like adore her. So I meant it endearingly. I I didn't (laughs) think of her as like my boss at that time. Obviously some of the internet was very lit up about that mistake or what, you know, whatever. Um, and she was very annoyed by that when she said I catcalled her, I was like, I just, it was a compliment to be like, oh, oh, like, I don't know, whenever yeah. anybody does that to me, when I'm in the DJ booth or something, I'm flattered. Like, but everything right. that I did just rubbed her the wrong way. I didn't realize, because I thought that we were more similar than that. So I didn't realize how like very serious she is 110% of the time, even at what I thought was supposed to be a more relaxed part of filming. Right. I thought a cocktail party, this isn't a challenge. And then, right. It ended up turning into a challenge. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Do you have any regrets as far as the choices you made during filming or things you wish you would have done differently? Yeah. I mean, like I, I can't, I'm like not a person who believes in thinking about regrets because I think it's a negative mindset to think I should have done a bunch of things differently. I mean, of course, there are probably some things that I could have done a little better, but I did my best. You know, I pivoted all the time on the spot. I had a pretty good attitude about most of it. You know, do I cringe a little when I look back at me calling her sweetie? Yeah. But it's like, I'm not going to be like, oh oh my God, I messed up so bad. And like, I have all these major regrets because I just don't really believe in that mindset. Right. I think I look at it more like, everything is a learning experience and there's always room for improvement in everything that you do in life. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's a great way to look at it for sure. Um, as far as something would have done differently, the whole photo shoot, right. That was kind of the big thing that everybody was talking about. Probably a lot of the backlash came maybe from that. Was there anything you would have done differently in that particular Yeah. So I, I should, in hindsight, I should have thrown her in first rather than doing the models first. And the reasoning is because, and it doesn't matter, but the, everything was moving like lightning speed. We had a very short timeline to get all of the content, to be able to get the best ad. And I also made a very, I make things too. I guess the biggest learning for myself is to kind of tone down my ambition a little. Sometimes you can hit a home run with simple, but I always go extra. And I guess that's just who I am. And, and people either love it or they hate it. And, and I can't do it any differently. I am just that way, you know? So, right. and I've always been that way. And I think a lot of the people that I've worked for really appreciate that. And a lot of the people that work for me learn a lot from that creativity, right? Yeah. And, and but, I think that just tells you that's who you need to work with, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Totally. I mean, that's just totally. who you mesh with. We're all different totally get that. In relation to the photo shoot, I, I picked a really extreme kind of setup where I had tried to get multiple different looks in the 30 minute time slot and finish early. Cause right. She kept saying time is everything. Time is money. Yeah. And so what I had done because I've done a lot of photo shoots in my day was styled my models from being fully dressed in other skinny girl products, which you'll notice she did compliment. She liked that I had incorporated multiple facets of her brand, which nobody else did and had them dress, you know, dressed down to just be in only shapewear at the bottom. They were in a piece of shapewear at the top, but I was showing how the shapewear could work in your everyday life. It was like kind of a day to night look. Um, and the reason that I didn't throw her in, in that first shoot is because I had picked plus size models. And she's a zero. So I hadn't pulled any clothes for her and all the clothes were at the loft. So yeah, I mean, I, I, but it's like, I can't even really say that I messed up that bad. I was trying to get her a ton of content for her ad and for social media. I just wanted to give her as much as I could in the time allotted. And looking back on it, I just wish I would have had an outfit to put her in so that I could have had her go in immediately 
yes, obviously I should have redone, rearranged the timeline of the photo shoot, but there was no way that I could have done that and incorporated all the brands, which she did like in the timeline. So I don't know. It's still kind of like a, <laughs> a question mark on what was best, but obviously right, Bethany right. should have been put in the mix sooner. Gotcha. Yeah. I didn't mean her to feel like she was unimportant, of course. Like, yeah. No, I didn't no. know she was coming. <laughs> right. Right. Well, hey, you didn't ask her to remove her top. So at least you had that. But just, <laughs> I didn't oh ask her to go God. nude. So I, I guess I get some kind of points for that. That was, I mean. <laughs> I love oh, Corey, but that Corey. was so ballsy. Like, and, what and was thinking? Exactly. I know my husband's like, my God, that guy has balls. That's Bethany. <laughs> you're saying that too. You know, and I was like, are you even watching? I didn't even know you were watching. He loved it. He loved it. So I have to ask you, how did you manage stress while you were on the show filming? Cause it was, just, I mean, this is the best seven, question. Right? This is the so, best question that you've asked. So of course I am happy to answer this. I have over the years of working for myself develop. I mean, look, you guys hear it right now, right? I've had a lot of setbacks. I've also had some successes, but there's certainly been plenty of, of failures as well. Right. So I have developed a very strong mindset practice that, and meditation practice that I do every single morning. And, you know, you don't need a phone, you don't need anything. You just need your brain and to be dedicated to making time first thing in the morning for this. And that was probably the biggest thing that kept me sane and grounded and mostly calm during this, that, and, you know, in the middle of that photo shoot, I walked in the bathroom and gave myself a pep talk in the mirror. I was like, you're a fucking queen. You got this, get back out there. You're a role model. You're not weak. You can do this, pull it together, babe. And I mean, that's really where that's, that was also a big reason in wanting to change the name of the podcast to big queen energy. Cause it's just like it, yeah. you know, that mantra got me through and this was challenging. I'm not going to lie. Like, I think even when you watch it, you probably had anxiety for me oh and you don't God. even know me. Yes, yes, definitely. Oh yeah. Everybody I talked to said the same thing too. Like I was anxious for her. As far as your edit, I, I know you, you're claiming it, which I applaud you, you know, for doing that, Thank you. but was it accurate? Are you, do you feel you have narcissistic tendencies? Like talking to you now, I definitely don't think that at all, but I feel like the edit definitely lend to that for some people to believe that. Yeah, no, you're not offending me by saying that at all. So okay. no biggie. I, I know you're being very delicate. It's okay. I did get some <laughs> comments that were like, you're a fucking nar narcissist, please, please, please. It's like, okay take a deep breath. Like right. you might need medication because we yeah. don't know each other. This is not a normal reaction <laughs> to a stranger, um, but that's okay. So I know that what you're saying was some people's reaction, especially at first. Um, I don't think of myself as a narcissist, but then again, I don't think any narcissist thinks of themselves as a narcissist. Right. So, I mean, it's hard to say, but I, I like feel like I have a lot of friends. I'm, I literally am still best friends with my best friend from 12 years old and I'm with her every single day in Sarasota. So like would a crazy lunatic narcissist re retain very young childhood friendships? Right. Likely not. You know, typically narcissists are people that shed most people in their life that, you know, think they're better than everybody else and never want to take advice. Don't learn from failures. Right. So, yep. uh, you know, I don't think I have narcissistic tendencies according to textbooks that I have read in psychology classes. Right. I guess right, that. Right would be a fair way to put it, but am I perfect? No, you know, I'm confident. And I think sometimes too, you know, even just a confident woman can sometimes set people off. And I've experienced that in my life before the big shot. Definitely. And I think that you're a very empathetic person and a narcissist is definitely devoid of empathy. So yep. I would say that alone, you know, <laughs> would, uh, True. would get you off the hook for sure. Look at, so, look at our school studying coming into play here. In this right. Podcast. I know. I'm I love this. <laughs> I love it so much. So what were the top three lessons you learned from your experience on the big shot? Yeah, this is such a good one. I thought about this because there really are so many. So one is one that I learned, Bethany, she talks about this in a number of episodes where she really guides, she, used her, she uses her gut to guide her in business. You know, that first night when she made eliminations, which, you know, who am I to say? Because I don't know everybody's professional backgrounds, but it did seem like she kept people that really really worked for it, you know, and, and obviously we know Maloxy has an incredible background that is very relevant to the role. So I think 
just listening to your gut and business. I mean, she used her gut to decide whether or not to keep me a couple of times. And then I worked very hard and showed what I was made of too, you know? So I think a lot of times our guts are very accurate and our thinking brains overthink everything, but you can use your gut in business. And I thought it was so powerful for her to be open about that and vulnerable about that. And to show that, I think that's empowering for me as a smaller, you know, up and coming entrepreneur to take that lesson. Because a lot of the times that I haven't, I've done things that my gut said were not a good idea. And those things presented challenge after challenge after challenge. So completely. So that's one. (laughs) Let's see. Two is really about just moving, walking straight into your fear. You know, in that photo shoot, I was terrified. Like that's when you saw the tears come on when I was just thinking like, I am so far in a hole. I don't know how I got here. So I don't know exactly what to say, right? There's like obviously stuff going on that I'm not privy to that's making this whole situation worse. And I'm so scared that she's going to flip out, that I'm going to look like an idiot, that people are going to hate me, that I'm not going to be a role model for the women that I already, you know, have in my life and, and on our podcast and are in our community. And I was just literally terrified, just sitting down with her and pushing through that and giving myself that pep talk and owning up to my mistakes and just realizing that we're not in control of everything and that's okay. And you got to have faith, right? That takes you to a new level when you go past, I mean, just even putting your persona, especially when you are a small brand like me and I pay my own bills and I always have, you know, there was a point in my mid twenties when I first went off on my own, that it was really hard to make ends meet really, really hard. And trust me, you know, Wendy says some nasty things about my family and my parents in that show, but I was never supported. Nobody wanted me to go this route. And it's not that they weren't verbally supportive at times, but they weren't going to like open their checkbooks to support a career choice that they thought was crazy, right? It was very unconventional. And I get that they thought it was crazy. That's normal for most parents, like your parents, (laughs) when you said you wanted to be a lounge singer, it makes sense, right? I think when you push through that fear, you can then rise to the next level. And before we push through that fear, then we're stuck at a kind of a lower version of ourselves. You know, somebody who's able to do less, that is living more in fear and allowing fear to control and guide the opportunities that we jump at or don't jump at. Right. Right. So, yeah, we all just got to be jumping in with two feet all the time and trying to have new experiences and just getting it so we can grow. You are preaching to the choir. I'm such a risk taker. I mean, I, even today an opportunity came up and I'm just like, yes, let's do it. Like I full force going for it, you know, because life is really just too short. It really is. And I just, you don't ever want to regret an opportunity, you know, that came your way. Why? There's no reason to, it's not going to kill you to try, you know, you just try it. If it doesn't work, that's okay. And you still are going to learn from it. So I'm right there on the same, the same page with you for sure. Now, is there a third? I mean, there is a third, I think really working on your own mindset, right? Having a mantra that can get you through those hard moments, those fearful moments, those moments like episode two and three, when you feel like the world is falling down on you, you know, having a mantra to pick yourself back up is really important. Having a mindful mindfulness or meditation, or, you know, I have a mindset tool that um, we're launching a mentorship, which we're going to be teaching exactly the process that I've used for the last seven or eight years, um, which I used every single day in filming the big shot to other women to just kind of help build up their confidence and their self-esteem about taking risks and doing new things. So I think just having a process that you use to build yourself up is just so important. Definitely. No, I completely agree with that. I I'm agreeing so much and it's not because that's who I am. I'm literally agreeing with you because you're making so much sense. And I'm like right there with you. <laughs> Seriously. Well, you know, cause you're an entrepreneur, yeah. you're a risk taker. You've gone off on your own. You've launched a podcast. You know that this stuff is hard. Yeah. And, and you're taking, and it's, you're putting yourself out there and there, every time you do something like this, you risk failing and you risk being embarrassed by people that you love or look up to or whatnot. Although nobody sees it that way. It feels that way. 
Yeah, right? oh, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Now, do you think you would go on another reality TV show if the opportunity presented itself? Yes. Like the short answer is yes, but just I would, I would want it to be the right thing. Okay. That makes sense. Is there someone that you would love to connect with or meet that you haven't yet? Somebody that you maybe look up to, maybe a role model or just someone that you're just like fangirling, like just, I'm so curious. Is there anyone? So this is, this is so random. So after <laughs> the show came out, my team was like, oh my God, you, you need to go on the circle. You would be so amazing on it. Cause like I, social media strategy is like my thing, right? I've been doing this for a decade. Um, and I started watching it and I'd obviously seen too hot to handle. And like, I am like obsessed with Chloe Vice after watching that show. I don't know why I just like want to have a girl's night out with her. <laughs> like how I said in the show, I was like, Bethany, and I just need to like ha- throw back some rosé and like yep. empower all the babes. I think Chloe and I might be a better fit to do that together. <laughs> Chloe seems amazing. I just started watching season two, so I don't know what happened. I know she goes far, but I loved her on Too Hot to Handle. And I think that she just, she wasn't able to shine like she does, you know, on yes. school. So I'm so happy to see her back on another show for sure. Um, now, do you have any celebrity crushes? I'm a dating coach, so I have to ask you that. Oh my question. God, what? Oh my uh-huh. God. Okay, well, if you have anybody for me, let me know. I probably 100%. need like, dating help because I don't know maybe I'm I'm not bad at it I don't I go in and out of like placing focus on it successful when you're consistent right you would probably agree with that yes but obviously you know it's been it's been a lot with the show coming to fruition and everything and there was someone that was very nice that I had to tell like you know I'm not feeling like 110% chemistry and I'm really really busy right now and hanging out two times a week it's like I just need like headspace. You know what I mean? So anyway, I don't have like a celebrity crush per se. I was thinking of that. I mean, there's a lot of people that I think are hot. I think, I think Angel also on the circle, on the circle is like really cool and hot. Sometimes I watch him on Instagram, but I mean, that's not really, I don't know if that's a celebrity crush, but. I mean, he's well known now, you know, because of the show, but well, okay. So let me put it this way. So I have a lot of bachelor connections. Okay. Watch The Bachelor and do you have any bachelor crushes? Because I pretty much could like get you in contact with any of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of I'm kind of like the bachelor dating coach. Like I, I try to put them together. It's fun. Oh my god, really? Them. Okay. Yeah. Um interesting. I I haven't seen like every season of The Bachelor. I The Bachelor's been around for a long time, right? So long I time. started watching the show in high school and I was actually obsessed obsessed with it when I was in high school because my cousin was on it this is like forever ago my cousin it's funny my cousin made it to final four and I was like final four of the big shot so our family we have a big Italian family we're all in this group text with like 25 people and everybody jokes like we're like a final four top four family it's not (laughs) you know it's not it's not the winner but it's not bad (laughs) no it's still very impressive well I watched from season one so I probably know who you're talking about okay his name's Byron he was a fisherman Yes, yes. Okay, so my cousin's name is Sharice. She was final four. She didn't want to sleep with him. Oh my let her go. Okay, hold on. Can I have her on my show? Because I would love to interview her. Like that. Well, I would be happy to put you guys in contact. (laughs) I'm sure she would love to do that. That would be amazing. I I have so much fun connecting with bachelor people because it's just like that's my passion, right? That show. And just to be able to like get to know who they are off the show is just and then when I meet him in person, I'm just like, oh my God, I love my life. This is so much fun. It's crazy. You're the it's second really person crazy. to ask me today if I would go on The Bachelor. I forget who else it was. People ask me this all the time. I, but like, cause I think it's just cause I'm so single and I'm vocal about being single <laughs> that everybody's like, would you go on The Bachelor? And I'm, I mean, but I can't imagine that that's an easy show to film either. I mean, that's gotta be very intense. Yes. The edits are insane. The mental health like ramifications. I mean, I, I personally would be like protective and not want you to go because (laughs) I kind of know, like, but you're very strong. You probably could handle it, but that's it. It couldn't be worse. Let me be honest. Sorry, bachelor people. If you're listening (laughs) to this, there's no fucking chance in hell filming that show is worse than filming the big shot. There's no way. There's literally (laughs) no way. (laughs) And then there's actually like, there's actually like the possibility of finding love on this show. So, I mean, maybe you should try. <laughs> maybe, maybe <laughs> we'll have to get with the team on that one and, and take a poll. That is too funny. Oh my God. Well, I do have to say 
since you are single as a dating coach, I think the best thing to do right now is to go on a video dating app because honestly, you'll know exactly what they look like. If they have a COVID beard, you'll know like their picture, (laughs) right? Their picture is probably pre pandemic or even like older than that. You know exactly what you're working with. Like I am so in favor of it. So which one do you use for video? So there's a no filter app that literally there, you cannot have a filter. I mean, not that you're gorgeous. You don't need a filter. So you're, you're good. But a lot of people like to have a filter, right? When they have like a photo or whatever. And this one, there's no filter. So you're, what you see is what you get. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll send that to you. A friend of a friend designed it and it's like blowing up. People are legitimately like getting engaged from this damn app because it's like, seeing somebody in person, but you can FaceTime them without giving them your number. So it's like safer. You know what I mean? It's just, a, it's the way to go. It is the way to go. Yeah. That's a really good idea. Also, I should probably be cautious about like giving my number out to a bunch of yes. randoms. Exactly. <laughs> so if you're on this app, you can do it through the app. Even Hinge has the uh, the video. I know, um, but so guys on Hinge, I am on Hinge, but guys on Hinge always just want to meet. And it's like, I want to have a conversation first. First. Yeah. Then just have you a know, video. because it's not a good use of my time to, I can't meet everybody. Yeah. But see if, but I think it's like the best of both worlds because you're still having a conversation, but you're still seeing each other. You know, guys are so visual. Like they have to, they have to see you. They have to like feel your vibe and energy and all that stuff. Girls can fall, like fall in love literally over the phone. Right. But guys yeah. really can't do that. They need to see, they need to touch, feel, smell you. Like they need to be in your aura. Right. So yeah. I think that's just really, really important, but that is a safe way to do it. That's why I'm so in favor of it. Like, so, so should I just start asking people, like telling anybody who asked me out on hinge and just be like, do you want to have a video date first? That's like, that's yep. my first step. My, how do I Absolutely. put it? How do I put that? Yeah. That's all. That's basically what you said. You say, I feel more comfortable if we had a video date, right? Like a video chat date or whatever. We had a video okay. chat before meeting in person. That's all. Okay. And then you'll get a vibe. You'll see, you know, if they're, if they're weird, you're going to pick up on that. Like your gut is going to tell you don't go out with this guy. Right. Yep. And then totally. if, if you have any questions, you can always come to me and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll steer you. Oh, thank you, Erin. You're the sweetest. I appreciate that. I probably will at some point. <laughs> of course I'm here for you for sure. Well, honestly, my last question is just, what is your next big project or, you know, career goal? Like where, how are you pivoting after the pandemic? DJing is coming back. We have events in the Hamptons in a couple of weeks. I'm very excited to get out there and pump people up and help them have fun. But I also am rolling out the Mindset Mentorship Project. So week of June 14th, we're launching the beta. It'll be our first ever class. We have a couple of women already enrolled and we're going to take on a couple more. So if anybody is interested about up-leveling their mindset, creating a tool that they can use to align themselves every morning and getting a morning routine down to supercharge your day, whether you work for yourself or you work for somebody else, then just shoot me a DM and I will give you more info on it. So yeah, that's what's next. And then obviously just clean energy every Monday. Perfect. Well, where can they find you on Instagram and where can they find your podcast? Give them all the details of that. Awesome. So I'm just, if you type in Nicole Rose or Nicole Rose, you'll find me or, you know, the full handle is Nicole Rose Stillings. Um, and the handle for the podcast is big queen energy pod. And it's just big queen energy It's on Apple and Spotify. Perfect. Well, I have had so much fun getting cozy with you. This was such a fun chat and I just, I adore you. I think you're amazing. I am so honored that you're here with me and you gave me your time. And I just, I loved watching you. And and my husband said, you better tell her this. He's so funny. He was like, I'm not watching the show. Well, he said, I'll watch the show because Bethany's on it, but I'm watching the show because Nicole is on it, to be honest. Aww. <laughs> you are his favorite. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. I that means so much to me. And I hope, I hope it won't be the last of, you know, us doing TV. I, I think it's empowering for people to just, you know, see someone like me just letting it all hang out, being weird, you know, and I hope that we can do more of that. Who's we, I don't know. I hope that I can do more of that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. No, I mean, I think just putting it out in the, in the uh, universe. Also one more last dating tip. If you yeah. have not done this yet, this has ha- this helped me find my husband of 10 years. And okay. it's also helped a lot of my friends. 
If you haven't written down every single quality you want in that man, in that partner of yours, do it. And oh, I read it every morning. Specific. Okay. Good. <laughs> I'm glad because it puts it out in the universe. You know, you've got to tell the universe what you want or else how the hell is it going to deliver totally. to you? Right? Yeah. 1000% agree with you. Okay, good. I'm so glad. Well, I had the best time. Thank you so much for joining me. And by the way, guys, please follow me at Getting Cozy with Aaron on Instagram and my new pod, Batch After Dark Pod on Instagram. And that is for you Bachelor fans. It's a sexy 20 questions with your Batch favorites. We've had Mike Johnson, Blake Horseman, Matt Donald. We're going to have all the girls coming on next. Very sex positive. It's very fun. Questions you've always wanted to ask, but were afraid to ask. You know, they do not hold anything back. It is spicy. It is hot. I was literally sweating like during the recording. <laughs> we had so much fun. So please go listen. I'm very, very excited uh, where that new podcast is going. So, but again, thank you guys so much for listening. Please stay safe and always stay cozy. Till next time. Bye. 